All right, prophet Obadiah. Let's read through this together. Obadiah verse 1. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves have come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how, how you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen till they had enough? If great gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out. How his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Will I... Not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. And the day that you stood on the other side and the day that strangers carried carried captive his forces When foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother and the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisals shall return upon your own head, for as you drink on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord of hosts has spoken. The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia, They shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captains of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the lands of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are at Sherefarad shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau. And the kingdom 
shall be the Lord's. And that's the prophecy. That's the message of Obadiah. That's the extent of his message. That's the extent of his preaching. Sometimes encouraging news, sometimes the most encouraging, uplifting news comes in the darkest hour, right? Just when, it's, just when it seems that it may be the darkest hour, all of a sudden it's like in, in this dark dungeon there's a ray of light, right? I mean, those moments happen. Just when you think it's all lost, just when you think all hope is given up, then there's a word of encouragement. Then there's something that comes that brings encouragement and hope. You see, Obadiah, this prophecy is a ray of light in a dark, dark dungeon. Particularly in our day, for us now. It's a ray of light in in what is a dark dungeon, and it appears to be growing even darker. But then all of a sudden, here comes this message of Obadiah. It's like this ray of light that just shines through. How? It's so because what we are reminded of in the book of Obadiah We are reminded that we are fighting a defeated foe. We are reminded that we are fighting a a foe that has already been defeated. The battle has already been won. It hasn't been fully realized, and and it's it's still painful at times. But in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, battle's over. Battle's over. You know, the New Testament's clear about this. In fact, the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, is anticipating the coming of the Messiah. And Paul tells us that one of the things when Jesus died in the book of Colossians, what did he do? He defeated. He defeated. He disarmed principalities and powers and so forth. What did we see? You remember going through the book of Revelation and we get to chapter 12 and we see the dragon, we see Satan in heaven. What? He's cast out of heaven, isn't he? He's thrown to the earth. He's defeated. But yet, what does he do? He goes about, as Peter says, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? And so what happens until until that victory is fully realized? Sometimes it can be very dark. Sometimes it can be very trying. Sometimes it can be like, my gosh, we've lost everything. What are we going to do? But then all of a sudden, God's word comes. All of a sudden, a book like Obadiah, a message like Obadiah comes as that ray of light. There's three truths in Obadiah that we're going to see. I'm going to use two words connected with truth, and I do it purposefully. All right? These three truths, the first word that I want to use in connection with truth is that they are objective truths. What I mean by that is they are true regardless of how I feel. So the truthfulness of this that we see, that we glean from Obadiah, is not dependent upon the way I feel. It's not dependent on what I think. It's not dependent upon my circumstances. There's another word in connection with truth that I'll use, and that's this word. It is a transcendent truth. What in the world do I mean by that? A transcendent truth means that it is a truth that is comes, it reveals itself from outside of our existence. Now, why do I use those two words? Because those true, those two understanding, when it, those two words used in connection with truth now have come under such attack. There is no objective truth. 
Truth is only what I make it. Truth is only how I feel about it. There is no transcendent reality. The only thing we have is what's here and now. That's it. But what we're going to see from Obadiah is we glean these truths. And remember what we've been doing with the minor prophets. Since we finished the book of Revelation, we've been taking the minor prophets and we've been trying to answer the question. We've been trying to look at and answer the question, discern from the minor prophets, how do we engage a post-Christian culture? How do we do it? How do we relate to it? How do we engage it? Lord willing, we'll we'll take Jonah next week. We'll look and see how did how did Jonah, how does Jonah help us do this? Obadiah is not so much as we've looked at the others, as we've looked at Daniel, we've looked at Hosea, we've looked at Joel, we've looked at Amos, and, and we've sort of seen some guidelines there, right? Obadiah is not so much where we'll glean some guidelines to help us. But what we're going to glean are some truths. And these are truths that we are reminded of. We already know this. But don't we become so forgetful? Don't we become so forgetful? We already know this, so we need to be reminded of these truths. Now, before we dig into Obadiah, Obadiah is going to break down in three sections. But before we dig into it, I need to give you some background. Okay, so I need you to keep your finger here in Obadiah, and I need you to go to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. You need to see this background so that you understand fully what is the message of Obadiah. Why is he he getting on with Edom here? Why is he singling out Edom? Just who is Edom? Who were the Edomites? Well, first, there's something we need to understand from the book of Genesis. In fact, you might even could say this. You might even could say that the key verse to Obadiah is actually found here in Genesis chapter 12. This is what we read. This is the call of Abraham in Genesis 12.1. Abrahamic covenant. God's calling Abraham. He didn't choose among the nations. He didn't pick one nation and say, this will be my nation. What he did is he called a man... He called him, he called his family, he told him to leave his home and go to a land that I'm going to show you. And what he did was he created a nation. This is the nation of Israel. Why would he create the nation of Israel? It's through the nation of Israel that he'll bring about the Messiah. Okay? So in Genesis 12, this call of Abraham, this is what we read. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, To a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. Listen to verse 3. Listen to these words very carefully. I will bless those who what? Bless you. I will bless those who bless you. And then we read this. And I will curse him who what? Curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In this Abrahamic covenant, there's this promise that God makes. And basically what he says is this. Those that are with you, those that are, that are for you, those that, that are with you, I will bless. Those that stand and oppose you, I curse. I curse. Now, from this point on, throughout the, nation, throughout the history of the nation of Israel, we see the outworking of this covenant. 
And we see nations that stood with Israel that were blessed. We see nations that opposed them that were cursed. And we see the outworking of this throughout the Old Covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant, this, this promise, this blessing that he promises, I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. Keep that in the back of your mind when we get back to the book of Obadiah. Now, there's one other place you need to go in Genesis. I need you to go to Genesis chapter 36. I need you to go to Genesis chapter 36. Because now we need to figure out just who were these Edomites. Just who were they? In chapter 36 of Genesis, verse 1, this is what we read. Now, this is the genealogy of Esau. Now, we're going to go to chapter 25 in just a second, all right? We're going to see who Esau was. But notice this. This is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. So, Esau is the father of the Edomites, okay? Esau's the father of the Edomites. So he is Edom. And then it talks about Esau took his wife and, and wives, and there's the genealogies there. And so they have children and so forth. And uh, verse 9, it says, and this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. They settled in this area of Mount Seir. And sometimes Seir is used of the Edomites. It's used of Edom. Okay? So you see that? Esau, the father of the Edomites. Now, go to chapter 25 of Genesis. Let's take it one step further back. Chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. In verse 19 it says this, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padad Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But listen to this. But the children struggled together within her. They're fighting in the womb. And she said, if all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord answered and said to her, Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red. Esau. Edom. That's what Esau means, red. He was like a hairy garment all over, and so they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. You see, this, this, this animosity, this, this dislike, even hatred for each other, even in the womb they're struggling. And God, how would you like it if 
ladies, if, if, when you were bearing children, if they would have said, you know, God would have come to you and said, hey, you got twins in your womb. Yeah, I know, and they're fighting like crazy. What's up with this? Well, you got two nations in your womb. And they're never going to get along. They're never going to get along. In fact, what I'm going to do is reverse the order. Usually it's the older that everybody else serves. But in fact, I'm going to reverse the order. As if God's saying, I'm going to make it even worse. I'm going to make it even worse. And so here they are. They're born. This is Jacob and Esau. Malachi picks up on this. Paul will quote Malachi in Romans 9. In that famous quote where God says that it's Jacob I have loved. Esau I have hated. In other words, Jacob was the chosen. He was part of the covenant. He was the covenant. He was the one through whom the blessing, the promises, the covenant would go through. This was God's sovereign choice to do this. But did he just forget Esau? No. Remember he says there's going to be a nation. You've got two, two nations in your womb. You remember later what happens in chapter 27? You remember how you, you see, in, in, in fact, you, you continue on with the story. You remember how uh, Esau despised his birthright. In fact, later on in chapter 25, he sells his birthright to Jacob. Jacob was a trickster, a schemer, until God gets a hold of him and changes him. And, and all this is being, you know, with the help of a mother who loved Jacob and wanting all this. To go. All this is there. All this is, is underneath there. All this is behind the scenes here. But there's this struggle between these two brothers. Esau sells his birthright. And then later on, we see Jacob blessing. We see uh, uh, Isaac blessing Jacob and not Esau and this animosity. And Esau goes out angry and mad. And what we have from this point on throughout the history of these two, the descendants of these two, is animosity, hatred, and, and they're constantly, constantly struggling. There was never going to be peace between these two. There was never going to be peace between these two. Now when we go back to Obadiah, with that background, and remember Genesis 12, verse 3, I will bless those who bless you, I will curse those who curse you. So when we go back to the book of Obadiah, we understand that Obadiah is preaching against Edom. These are the descendants of Esau. These are the descendants of Esau. Obadiah is just one chapter. It's sort of like the book of Philemon in the New Testament. It gets overlooked a lot. It's just one chapter sandwiched in here and... Sometimes we, we overlook it, but man, it's a powerful message that God's saying. And again, there's three reminders, three truths that we'll be reminded of as we look at this book. Now, the date of Obadiah, it's, 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 it's up in the air as to exactly when this happened, exactly when this occurrence that Edom went against Jacob. Edom was always going against Jacob. Edom was always going against Israel. Some have said that it was... It was early. It was in the 800s. It was during the time of King Jehoram. And when we read of this particular time, for instance, in 2 Kings chapter 8, we also read of it in 2 Chronicles chapter 21, Edom revolted, Edom rebelled, set up their own king, and they, and they struggled again with Israel, and there was a fight there. And, and at some point, maybe during that time, during that rebellion, Edom went after Israel. And Edom did something to Israel that this prophecy that Obadiah is going to bring out and say, hey, you remember when you did this against your brother? It could be in the 800s. Others have said, no, it may not be that time. What it may be is in the 500s, earlier, or later, earlier. 
getting closer to the time of Christ. It's during the 500s. What happened then? The Babylonians came in, overtook Judah, destroyed the southern kingdom. What we do know from places like Psalm 137, we also know this from Ezekiel 35, that the Edomites, they were vassals of Babylon, the Assyrians in Babylon. But we do know the Edomites joined in. We do know they joined in in that. So we're either dealing with this event and probably in the 800s or possibly the Babylonian captivity that Obadiah has in mind when, when God is specifically singling out this one thing. But keep in mind, understand, this was a history between these two. It's a long history between these two. In fact, in Numbers 20 in Exodus, it's the Edomites who refused passage to the Israelites as they're leaving Egypt. They won't let them go through their territory. So what do they have to do? They have to go around. David. David constantly fights with the Edomites, subdues them. Constantly. Solomon constantly fighting with them. And go back even before David. Saul constantly fighting with the Edomites. And they, they, they put them down. This was a conflict that was ongoing, ongoing all the time. In fact, some have said that the Edomites are singled out more for judgment particularly among the prophets, and they're singled out. They're the subject of more prophecies than any other nation. Maybe true. It's a large portion, at least. Other prophets speak against the Edomites. We've already seen it in Amos. Amos spoke against the Edomites. So what about these three truths that come out of this? Well, the first part of the book of Obadiah, the first part what God does, what God says through the prophet Obadiah. We know very little about Obadiah, by the way. Not very little about him. He's a prophet, that's clear. But if you look at verse 1, it says the vision of Obadiah. This is prophetic language, the vision of the prophet. And this is what God says. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. This is directed against you, Edom. This is directed against the Edomites. Now, what we've seen so far with the prophets is that the messages, by and large, have been directed towards God's people, right? Now, they address issues concerning other nations, and they address, and Obadiah here, he's going to address the nations as a whole. But this is a specific prophecy, not directed toward the people of God, but this is a specific prophecy directed toward one of their enemies, the Edomites. Now, I'll go ahead and say this. We'll, we'll look at it when we get to the principles here, the, 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 the general truths that we see out of this. Edom's going to stand for all that oppose God. Edom's going to stand for all the nations, all the opposition forces against God, even for us today. Even for us today. So, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. We've heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger's been sent among the nations. Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Edom's doom. This is the first part of the message of Obadiah. You are coming down, Edom. And he says in verse 2, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. You know what's interesting about the Hebrew word there that's that translated despised? It's the same word that's used when it says Esau despised his birthright. You despised your birthright? I'm going to make you despise. You shall be greatly despised. And why? It's pride. Isn't that always it? It's the pride of Edom's heart. It's the pride of his heart. 
The pride of your heart has deceived you who dwell in the clefts of the rock. This area where they settled was mountainous. And they had these sort of ravines, these passages. There was two major kind of highways that went through this area. One was called the King's Highway, and it, it, it went through this area that was real rocky, steep cliffs. I was, we were reading through this Wednesday night, and I said, just picture, you remember the old cowboy movies, and they're riding, getting away from the enemy, and they run up into a canyon? Or the bad guys are in the canyon, and the good guys are going through the canyon, and they sit up and shoot. Picture that, because that's exactly sort of the picture that, that, that happened what, when this event happened. So you sit up in these clefts, you sit up in these rocks, you sit up in these mountains. Salem was a city, Petra was in this area. Salem was a city, rugged mountain fortress, the Edomites. And they didn't think anybody could touch them. They didn't think anybody could touch them. It's the pride of your heart that's deceived you. You sit up here, your habitation is high, you think you're safe. You say in your heart, who will bring, a, who will bring me down to the ground? But then notice the end of verse 4. It's from there, I will bring you down, God says. I'm going to bring you down, Edom. And then verse 5, If these had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you, would be, you, you will be cut off. Would they not have stolen until they had enough? I mean, at least these, when they come, they, they, they make and only carry out so much, they're going to leave something behind. And, and the grape gatherers, they come to you, well, they would leave some gleanings, but when I go through you, Edom, there's going to be nothing left. My judgment's going to be thorough. And there's going to be nothing left. Verse 6, oh, how Esau shall be searched out. It's going to be total. His hidden treasure shall be sought after. As the men of your confederacy, Edom had made all these political alliances and all this, they're going to turn on you, Edom. You think you're safe in this? No, they're going to force you to the border. The men at peace with you, they're going to come after you. They shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. And in verse 8, will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men of Edom and the understanding of the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman. Teman was a descendant of Esau. They're going to be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. Your doom is here, Edom. It's over. And it's going to be thorough. It's going to be total. So the question then becomes, why? Why is God so mad at Edom? What did they do? Well, verse 10. For violence against your brother Jacob. So at some point, they committed violence against Jacob, his brother. Jacob being Israel, Judah. Committed violence against him. Now again, it could be that Incident in the 800s, maybe the Babylonian period. And he says this, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever unto eternity. You're going to be cut off no more. You get to the book of Malachi, which is about probably somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on when Obadiah is dated. Let's just say in the neighborhood of 400 years later. By the time you get to Malachi, Malachi, there are no, no, no more Edomites. Edom's gone. What's interesting, though, as you walk through the history of this people, Herod the Great was an Edomian. The Edomians were descendants of people who the Arabs had established a stronghold in this area, and the Edomians were descendants of these people. 
About a hundred years before Christ, one of the kings of Israel subdued these people, turned them basically into Jews. And it's through this line that Herod the Great comes from. Remember what Herod the Great did? Went after the babies. Went after the babies. But Edom's cut off forever. There are no no more Edomites. They're not around today. You're not going to have somebody move in and say, hey, where, where are you from? I'm from Edom. I'm an Edomite. They're no more. They're gone. They've been cut off forever. In the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captives his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. You participated in this Edom. You did. But you should not have gazed. You should not. And the idea here may be that Edom was gloating over this. If this was the Babylonian captivity, then there are stories that what happened is is Judah tried to escape to the south. It would have been through the territory of Edom. And, and, And Edom may have, after the captivity, even gone into Judah. Because there's mention here. You shouldn't have gone in. You shouldn't have entered the gates. But there are stories that the Edomites set up in the hills, in the clefts, in the rocks. And as the Jews tried to escape from the Babylonians, they picked them off. Wouldn't let them escape. So if this is the time, if this is the incident that he's talking about, then here you are, in the day of his captivity. You rejoice. You gloated over this. Look at verse 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in distress. Edom, it's over for you. It's over. Why? Because of what you did against your brother. The Edomites were a constant enemy to Israel. And at some point, they did something and God said, that's it. It's over. And by the time you get to the New Testament, they're no more. They're no more. They're done. Now, the second section, God addresses the nations. He moves from Edom to the nations. We've seen this with the prophets already. Verse 15, For the day of the Lord upon the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank of my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow. It's going to be complete. It's not going to be just in your mouth and you spit it out. You're actually going to swallow it. It's going to be complete. And they shall be as though they had never been. Pointing to a larger judgment. This judgment on Edom. Just like we've seen with the other prophets. The immediate judgment is pointing. It's foreshadowing. It's a preview of the ultimate judgment that's coming. It's coming on all the nations. And this judgment, retribution. It's just. God is just. They will get what they deserve. But then comes the third section. In this third section, there is this restoration that he promises, this salvation. You see verse 17, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. There's going to be salvation. And there shall be holiness. There will be salvation. There will be holiness. And I think, again, just like with the other prophets that we've seen, what they'll do is they'll weave in and out of the immediate and the future. In the future, what did we see at the end of the book of Revelation? 21 and 22. Did we not see salvation? New heavens, new earth. Did we not see holiness? Did we not see that? The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire. And the house of Joseph, 
of flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble. They shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain in the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. Again, they're totally wiped out. Now keep in mind, Esau, Edom here, the Edomites, in this prophecy, there was an immediate fulfillment of this judgment on Edom. But they came to represent all the enemies of God. All that opposed God. All that opposed Him. Verse 19, there's this promise of going back to the sort of the, the land of the Davidic kingdom and the times of the Davidic kingdom of the land. And then if you look down at verse 21. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion. Deliverers are going to come to Mount Zion. And the kingdom shall be the Lord's. It's always His. It's already His. But it's going to be fully realized. It's always His. You see, this prophecy that Obadiah gives against Edom, again, we've dealt a bit with the immediate context of this prophecy and this judgment that comes down. But this is where I want us to, to see. I want us to understand. I mentioned these three truths that come out of this. Okay? How does Obadiah help us engage here? He reminds us of three things. We already know these things. We already know them. The first thing that he reminds us of in seeing this is that God is totally sovereign over everything. He's totally sovereign over the nations. The nations do his bidding. The nations do his bidding. He's sovereign. He rules over all. His power is not limited in the old covenant just to Israel. You see that? He's pronouncing judgment on a pagan nation. Why? How can he do that? Because he's the sovereign ruler over everything. That's how. That's how he does it. So his power, his sovereignty, his rule, and his, 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 his rule is over everything. Not just in the Old Covenant, not just over Israel, but over all. It's not confined to one nation. And it's not just confined to the church. He rules over all. You see, there's this great divide that started to happen. Now there's just not just a divide. Now there's a total denial of anything transcendent. Anything. But at one point, where it started, the slippage started, was this divide Hey, you Christians, stay over there and keep your God over there. We're going to do our thing over here and we'll, we'll, we'll build our things over here, you Christians over there. There's a total misunderstanding that God rules over that as well. He rules over that as well. So that's the first thing that we're reminded of. His sovereignty is over all. Which leads to the second truth that we're reminded of. His justice will come. It may be delayed, but His justice will come. And it's His justice that will come. 
Not this mess today that we're running around clamoring for justice and social justice and this and that. That's man's justice. That's, 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 that's not worth anything. What we want is the justice of God, but let's be careful. You remember what Amos told us about wanting the day of the Lord? His justice will come, and when His justice comes, what we want is mercy from Him. And that mercy is found in Christ. And it's found in Christ alone. Now, those are two, two truths that, that we're reminded of. We know they're objective, they're transcendent, they're not of this earth, they're not things, they're, these things aren't true just because I feel like they're true and I like them and, man, I like them, so they're going to be true for me. But you know what? You may have your truth. That's okay. You don't like them, that's okay. No, no, no. These things are true regardless of whether you believe them or I believe them or not. They're true. Because it's objective and it's transcendent. It's true. It's God. It's who He is. But here's the third one. Here's the third one. Now keep in mind, Edom represents all that opposes God. So in one sense, we could say that what Edom represents is evil. Edom represents the beast of Revelation. Edom represents the Antichrist of Revelation. Edom represents the many Antichrists that John speaks about. Edom represents all today that stands opposed to the gospel, to God, to the church. Alright? So here's the third one. It's more than just judgment on Edom. It's more. It's more. What this is doing is giving hope and reassurance to us as his people. Why? Remember where I started with this? We're fighting a defeated foe. It's already defeated. We're defeating a defeated foe. I want you to go to John 15. I want you to go to John 15. And again, these are things that we know. We're being reminded of them. Remember what our Lord said in John 15? Because Edom could, in a sense, symbolize and stand for the world. This fallen world system. So this is what our Lord tells us in John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you were not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore the world hates you. It hates you because of me. It hates you because of, of your allegiance to me. It hates you because of your connection with me. Listen, the ultimate battle that's going on right now is not just marriage. It's not just immorality. It's not just transgendered issues. The ultimate battle that's taking place right now is a hatred for God, for Christ, for the gospel, and anything transcendent. That's at the heart of it. Get rid of God. And our connection with Him, they want to get rid of us. They hate us. This is what our Lord told us. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. 
If I had not come and, uh, and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. See that? If I had not, if I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would, not, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. But this happened that the, world, that the word might be fulfilled which was written in their law. They hated me without cause. They hate you. The world hates you. Why? Because of your connection with me. Because you're aligned with me. Chapter 16. This is what our Lord says in verse 11. He's come of judgment. Why? Because the ruler of this world is judged. He's already judged. He's already defeated. He's already been judged. And then, verse 33 of chapter 16, the section that he's... Verse 33 says, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. You see, this is what Obadiah is saying. Obadiah, the message of Obadiah is saying, be of good cheer. Because God's sovereign over all. Be of good cheer. Why? I have overcome the world. I've overcome the world. I need to go to one more place. Again, we know this. We know these things. I want you to go to Matthew 16. Matthew chapter 16. The confession of Peter. Verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. On Christ, on this confession that he is the Messiah, he is the Christ. And you remember this? I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not, what? Prevail against it. I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not stop it. I am building my church. And the gates of hell is not stopping it. Obadiah is this great Reminder of these truths. This, this reassurance. You see, that's why sometimes in the darkness, we think, what do we do? Where do we go? Where do we turn? How? And, and, and then all of a sudden, here's this ray of light. Here's these reminders, these beautiful reminders. You see, here's the thing. You remember Obadiah? You remember there at the end? And a Savior, saviors will come. Here's the good news. A Savior has come. He has come. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did He come to do? He came to save you. He came to save me. He came to save us from our sin. 
That's what he came to do. He came to save you from the judgment of God. He judged Edom. He will also one day in the end judge sin. He's just. But where do you go to escape that? You flee to Christ. Right? He died on the cross, was buried, raised the third day. A Savior has come. And all you have to do is turn to Him. All you have to do is trust Him. That's it. Just turn to Him. Just cry out to Him. Have mercy on me. A sinner. And what does He do? He has mercy on you. A Savior has come. A Savior is coming. He's coming. He's coming to get what's His. He is coming. I want to read you a quote. It's a little lengthy quote. This is from Charles Simeon. Charles Simeon was a preacher in Cambridge many years ago. This is what he said about the last part of the book of Obadiah. He says this, As in their journey to the land of Canaan, the Edomites and the other nations opposed the progress of the children of Israel. The Exodus. They opposed it. And as in the latter days, there will be a confederacy of many people to prevent their reestablishment and their former inheritance. So now at this time, and indeed in every age, the men of this world have evil will, have, have evil will at Zion and exert themselves in every way to obstruct the progress of all who are going, who are going forward. But... What success had their enemies against Israel of old? Or what shall they have in the day spoken of in our text? Verily, the strongest of them will be only like sheep before a lion who will go through and tread them down and tear them in pieces. And none shall deliver them. Thus, it shall be with those who now oppose and persecute the church of God. There are many that are doing it right now. Listen to what he says. Thus it shall be with those who now oppose and persecute the church of God. We say not that the people of God will be the instruments of God's vengeance, for that they cannot be, seeing that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But this we say, that no weapon formed against God's people shall prosper, And that all who seek their ruin shall be put to shame. They fight against God. That's who they're fighting against. They're not fighting against the Democrats. They're not fighting against the Republicans. They're not fighting against us. Their rebellion is against the sovereign creator of all that exists. Their fight is against God. That's who their fight's against. And Simeon's so right. And he's writing many years ago about this. They kick against the pricks, and in due time a suitable recompense shall be given them. God, when denouncing his judgments against Edom, reminds them of particular evils, which, however gratifying they were to their malignant spirits at the time, they should not have committed. Thus also will he bring to the remembrance of his enemies all the evils they have committed, and especially the treatment they have shown to his church and people, and then they will find that it would have been better to have had a millstone tied about their necks than to have been, and to have been cast into the sea than to have offended one of his little ones. 
Lord, grant that men may no longer make Christ a stone of stumbling, lest it fall upon them and crush them to power. It may be that some are discouraged because they have not yet experienced deliverance to the extent they wish. They seem to themselves as if their long and willing captivity to sin and Satan preclude them from the hope of mercy. And they are ready to say with Israel of old, Shall the prey be taken from the mighty and the lawful captive delivered? But our Lord answer is like our Lord's answer is like that of the prophet. Yes, thus saith the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible shall be delivered. For I will contend with him that contends with you. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. You see this assurance here? I I will contend with those that contend with you. And I will save my children. Be not afraid. Though you are as but a worm, you shall thresh the mountains. And the weaker you feel yourselves to be, the stronger in reality you are. Because God has pledged himself to perfect his own strength in your weakness. Expect then deliverance. It's coming. With all its attendant benefits. And rest assured that none shall pluck you out of the hands of your great deliverer. God has sworn writer of Hebrews says, he is no one greater to swear by. So who did he swear by? He swore by himself. He didn't swear on you and he didn't swear on me. He swore on himself. God has sworn that he will plant you in the heavenly land. Assuredly with his whole heart and with his whole soul. And what he has promised He is able also to perform. Faithful is he that hath called you who will also do it. That's the reassurance of Obadiah. That's the reassurance. What have I to fear? What have I to dread? Leaning on the everlasting arms. Right? The everlasting arms of Jesus. Unless you're leaning on yourself. And if you're doing that, you're in trouble. Flee to Christ. Flee to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this prophet.